Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 207, I Don't Want to Need Anyone's Help. This week we're discussing season 7, episode 6 of Buffy, Him, and season 4, episode 7 of Battlestar Galactica, The Road Less Traveled. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, Buffy first this time. Um, And probably um, should just preface and won't go into detail. We'll see where the conversation goes, but we'll preface it by saying we just recorded um, our little extended bit for the anniversary episode, um, which I believe we'll post several episodes ahead of this present one. So they're not necessarily lined up, but um, we are fresh off of that discussion. So any references we make, we may make more quickly because we're very conscious of that discussion uh, that we just had. Um, So, uh, you know, for whatever that's worth, that might just help people follow our, our leaps of thought and everything. Um, and I think that this is a good, not in any way planned or intentional, this is a good episode to kind of do following on that because sure. it very intentionally plays with themes of uh, gender and uh, power and all these, you know, sorts of yeah, manipulation and, ideas yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, and, and, I mean, we'll get into it, too, but and, and even just the idea of d- believing people's perspective on things, how, how dismissive people are of Dawn, you know, and kind of what she says she's thinking and everything. And it's like, it is kind of, uh, I mean, it, it is more of a metaphor of the week, so we'll get into that, too. Um, but I think this is a good one to kind of follow up on the discussion. Um so yeah, before we do that though, really quick wanted to check in with the spike plot um, because there's a development there of uh, him moving out of the basement and into uh, Xander's apartment. Yeah. So we get, once again, bunking up with Xander, Xander's favorite roommate. Yeah. Um, and so there's this, there's this hope, and it seems to prove to be true that he'll be a little less crazy if he gets out of the basement which seems to actually bear out over the course of the episode he kind of is helpful and not rambling and not talking to unseen spirit beings and all that sort of thing um so that seems to be the case that his his loopiness isn't purely to do with what he's been through personally and being re-insold and all that, but it also has something to do with proximity to the basement or the hell mouth or whatever is going on down there. Right. Right. Cause we've learned that the hell mouth is under the principal's office. Right. So yes, it's, right. it's somewhere. We don't know exactly where in the basement spike was staying, but it seems to be in that mm-hmm. general area. Maybe that there's something toxic or radioactive or whatever going on there 
Yeah. Um, and so to kind of transition into the main story here about uh, him, uh, RJ, Don starts with this little speech after, um, you know, kind of prompted by all this stuff with Spike, where she is, as the, the teenager, trying to figure out why adults do the silly, stupid things that they do in relationships and everything. Sure. Um, and Which is so always kind of, an exercise in futility. <laughs> yes, right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's that kind of thing of teenagers and adults look at each other and can't understand why the other one behaves the way they do, but, like, that's always the case. Like, each group is looking at the other one, like, not at all able to understand uh, how the mind of the other one works, really, I think. Um, and it's, it's setting up this, this theme of how she's about to go kind of off the deep end and, and act in silly and stupid ways herself. Um, but it kind of starts with this discussion of Spike's soul and, um, you know, she's kind of wondering what a soul make him better. Xander had a soul when he stood Anya up at the altar and now he says he wants her. And it's not just the school. I don't think it's just the school basement that's making him crazy. Um, and so it, in the light of our discussion, very interesting comments here about the nature of, I guess, men, people in general, but she's calling out men specifically of it's not just the ones without souls who do crappy things um, sure. and do contradictory things of Xander can both love Anya and want to be with her and also stand her up at the altar that these aren't uh, having one feeling doesn't necessarily preclude him from the other. Um, and loving her doesn't stop him from doing bad things. And he doesn't even have to lose his soul to do that. Right. Um, so she's kind of, and she's also kind of questioning too, to what extent should we be really trusting spike here? Because if men do horrible things, even with souls, then what difference does it make if, Spike gets his soul back. Is he just is he just as capable of being harmful to Buffy, even if he is recovered, so to say? Mm. So it's a it's an interesting question that doesn't really have good answers. I think, like, well, right. kind of what we were like, kind of concluding is like these the contradictions are part of human nature and yes, people are in control of their actions and have to be responsible for them. But, um, that doesn't mean that we're not all going to have hypocrisies and that's just part of, part of life really. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Buffy doesn't really give Don any good answers, right? It's just kind of like, well, you know, uh, Spike has a soul now, but it doesn't answer like that. That's not enough of an answer. Like, um, I don't remember. I don't remember if it's when they're sitting on the bleachers or if, if there's later, like, where they're like, "Oh, so like, how did what is soul having Spike? You know, how does that differ from not soul having Spike with you know mm -hmm. with the chip?" And and even going back to that discussion of is, is the chip basically. A conscience um or not but 
we've known for some time now that the chip doesn't work with Buffy, right? I don't, does everyone know that? I can't remember. I think it's just Buffy and Spike um, who know that at this point, right? Like, right. Or, or that they've, or they're the only ones that have put two and two together. Cause the others know about like him attacking her, but maybe they haven't stopped and thought about what that means. The implications of, of, Oh, why can he attack her? And you know, the fact sure. that she had to fight him off means that the chip must not be working. I don't think there's been any discussion of that. So it probably hasn't really occurred to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, right. With that in mind, just like that becomes a question of like, it, so, okay. So Spike has a soul, but how, like, other than like, he's a little bit crazy, which seems to be more the basement than the soul. And like, you know, like he still has this chip in his head. So it seems like he still can't attack people. Like, but how does he, how does he really differ than he was before like what what is it that having a soul gives you that not having a soul you know wouldn't um that was a really awkward way mm -hmm. of saying that but you know what i mean like like which is you know like that's a good general question that philosophers have been sort of asking for millennia so i don't know that one episode of a tv show geared towards teenagers and college students is necessarily going to do a better job of answering it. But those are the types of things that they're sure, wrestling sure. with, I guess. Right. Right. And, and for the non-vampire, what is it that stops you from doing these stupid things? Like if love isn't enough, like Xander loves Anya, nobody thinks he doesn't and yet he disappointed her in this terrible way um so feelings aren't necessarily enough to stop that um you know a chip stops spike sometimes because it's a physical pain but like in terms of the metaphors here like what is it it's not enough just to want to love someone or to want to do the right thing. What is it that enables you to do that? And I think that's kind of, you know, um, a question that, that Dawn's kind of asking here, like what, it, why do these, why do people do bad things? <laughs> you know, <laughs> people who you like, or, you know, which I think is relevant to the discussion we just had, you know, um, you want to think that people will do the right thing and maybe they even want to do the right thing, but they don't always. And so what is it that gives you the strength to do that and to stop yourself from, uh, you know, making this, this stupid decision as, as Dawn is kind of putting it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so she's kind of waxing about how there's so much better things to spend your time on than these, dumb relationships where people just hurt each other for no reason. Um, when he walks into her field of vision and birds chirp and music plays and, you know, so she's totally immediately infatuated and distracted and falls off the bleachers and everything. Right. Um, and without going into, I didn't like write down the notes to really get into detail about this, but 
the in, the music in this episode is interesting. Like, mm. I mean, Buffy always uses like, I mean, so there's the kind of like nice orchestral string music that follows RJ around. Sure. That's just that pleasant kind of loving, romantic, happy music. Um, but there's like more pop music than usual too. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes Buffy will use a pop song, but this is like every other scene. There's like, Oh, there's well, a little bit of the shins and there's a little right. bit of Coldplay and then whatever. So it's kind of just interesting, maybe getting you in the headspace of like teenagers in love. Like this is the, the, the music that is around at the time is forever associated with those teenage relationships and everything. So it's kind of getting you in the, the mind frame of a teenager having her first experience with being in love and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. And right. And usually when we, when you get like those bands, like the, the pop bands or whatever, um, it's like at the bronze, which we have the bronze here, but then right. like you said like you have like the shins are playing when like Don's like in her room at home um, and whatever, whatever principal Wood is listening to, like when he's working like late after hours. Yeah. And I don't even remember, but it, yeah, it was like, it was like weird, like, yeah, just music, um, like instrumental something or other. Um, I don't need, I don't, I honestly don't know what it was. I probably could look it up, but, um, but yeah, like you're right. Like there is, I mean, I definitely notice, um, yeah, the shins and, and like you say, Coldplay and whatever, but like, that's not normal from a, you know, outside of like the bronze or whatever. Like, it's just not something mm-hmm. that you normally hear. So kind of, yeah, it gives you that impression that there's something maybe a little different going on right and that it 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 flirts with that diegetic non-diegetic of like it music is following the characters around in the episode a bit um Mm -hmm. you know like there's a there's some sort of soundtrack to these events that isn't normal right um but also maybe is a is a subtle little tip-off that things aren't all that there's some sort of something a little screwy going on. But but also that's kind of universal because like you immediately recognize that these are all songs that young lovers might play, right. you know, like. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, so I feel like most of the, t- I mean, I have kind of in the outline that we'll talk through the characters and the plot, Um. but I feel like that might be more straightforward, I feel like most of the emphasis I want to put here is on the idea of RJ and the metaphor of the week and everything. Mm. Um, and so I guess maybe before we get into that, you pointed out the fact, even the fact that we have a metaphor of the week is significant. We don't necessarily get that every week anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and especially in the, the high school setting, it has a very throwback to early seasons sort of feel to it. Um, and then when you add in the fact that there's no references to the larger mythology, really, um, it makes that feel even more apparent mm-hmm. um, that this is really it, it could easily 
a quick rewrite to take Dawn out of the story, and this could very easily be a season two or a season three episode. Um, you know, just remove Dawn from the situation and, and age down the rest of the characters, and this would have been very at home early on in the season. Sure. Yeah. No, I definitely think that's true, and... Um... Sorry, a moth flew in my window and I was trying to like <laughs> get it out. what was going on. Um, so, no, I definitely think it's true. Like, when, if you think about like so far this season, we've had references every episode until now of some kind of like a larger picture of something going on. Um, like the repeated line um, that DeHoffren says last week of you know, uh, uh, from beneath it devours or like we have like, we haven't had in a couple episodes, but, but, you know, we had the first few episodes of like the, the young women running away from, you know, these monks or, or whatever, um, who are apparently killing them or, mm -hmm. or trying to kill them. Um, so yeah, we don't get that this episode. And so it really does feel more of like, a season two standalone metaphor of the week. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> like, I, sure. I I feel like it's a little too dissociated. And, mm. and maybe it's because we have Don in high school and Buffy's back in high school. And so it's not like entirely inappropriate that we're going to have. But I mean, it is... It, it we have kind of gotten beyond that point of only mm -hmm. the metaphor of the week, and I feel like this is a bit of a maybe a regression of that um, in a way. Sure. So I really i I can't think of a single thing in this episode that's that's bigger than the episode itself, right? Like mm -hmm. a piece of information or whatever. Like we get reference to. Yeah, Xander and Anya, but it's like, yeah, that's that's not like that's just a thing that happened in the past. Like that's not really a a, a long term archetype thing. You know what I mean? At this point, like it's just kind of like, mm -hmm. yep, they were together and now they're not. Like even if you didn't know their entire history, like you could just surmise that from the like two sentences they say about it in this episode. It's just like, okay, they used to be together and now they're not. Like that's, there's no like real importance to what they talk about there. And other than that, like everything else in the episode is just kind of like the episode. <laughs> like, it's just like, sure. Just about this kid with the magic jacket. Right. And I mean, from the perspective of the women who have, you know, who are affected by it, I guess. Um, right. But right, right. Well, yeah. but even there, because it deals with him um, having this spell through, I mean, and I, I forget the outline. We're going to go all over this plot because sure. I don't think in terms of the plot, I don't know that we need to spell it out beat by beat. Like it's, yeah, it, it's a fairly straightforward escalation of it starts with Dawn it continues to Buffy, then it goes to Willow and Anya, and it's just about how do we, how do we fix this before 
disaster hits, you know, and, and by the way, the people who need to fix it are the ones that are getting caught in the spell. So then it becomes that much harder to sort of see around that. Um, but even there, I feel like because it's a spell on them, uh, the metaphor becomes more about the power, like you said, the gender power dynamic, um, more than about the characters themselves. Um, like it's not really a metaphor about how women fight over men that like, oh, they all get catty and jealous and, and end up in a fight with each other over this guy. Like that is what happens. And I guess you can kind of read it that way, but really it's kind of about the power that this guy exudes over the girls around him. Um, and seemingly somewhat unknowingly, you know, the fact that the, the power of the jacket being mm -hmm. kind of the metaphor there, like of, yeah, he's, you know, the, the kind of good looking jock that has flocks of girls around him, but it's really not so much about him as it is about the jacket. Um, and that, so even that larger theme is more contained to, the episode itself and less about like you said the ongoing arcs of the female characters really mm -hmm. um and, and, and one of the parts that's kind of the most interesting to me is the fact that he got it from his brother who got it from the dad and so this idea of how uh ephemeral it all is that it's this you have this glorious phase that when you're 17 where you're this little god of your own world and then you kind of for some people get out of that high school or college realm and that doesn't necessarily continue into adulthood it's like this phase of life that isn't necessarily a reflection of real life mm -hmm. um so i mean Sure. But all those things but all those things are about RJ and they're about the the plot of this episode. They're not necessarily furthering the stories of the characters, the the main characters really. Right. Yeah, I don't I mean maybe a few minor things, like Anya's back and sort of part of the group and like, you know, Buffy calls her her friend and you yeah. Know, that kind of thing. Which which I, I'm going to call that out a little bit because, like I said in the last one, like the, the, the flip to uh, Let's Kill Anya went a bit fast for my taste. Like that was quite a... <laughs> and Xander's as well. <laughs> yes. Like I'm actually with Xander on that one. Like that was quite a conclusion to jump to. And so then the fact the, that... The... We're, we're jumping back just as quickly and easily. Um, I'm a little bit getting a little bit of whiplash with, I mean, I like that episode. It's more like, it's more this, the stuff around it. Like, um, I don't know the ease with which Buffy and Anya are enemies and then friends again, if they ever were friends to begin with, because that was part of it was like part of Xander's critique was that it's it's easy for you to turn on her because she was never really one of us to begin with mm -hmm. so then 
I don't feel the tension here I would expect to feel after something like that of right. between like Buffy and Anya of like, you know, uh, their concern for each other, that how quickly they're able to sort of get over that and, and move on and everything yeah. um, was a little, I could have used more stuff there. Sure. I think. Well, and, and that might be, I mean, like I said, I don't necessarily think this is one of the best episodes of the season by far. Um, mm -hmm. And it does feel a bit regressive in that moment. Um, and I tend to agree with you and Xander, I guess, like that Buffy jumps to the let's kill Anya of far too quickly um, without like exhausting any other possibilities. Right. I, I don't necessarily buy this argument, but I'll give it just because like, I feel like it's one that people use. Um, and it's kind of the one that Buffy uses is that last week Anya was a demon. And so mm -hmm. Buffy, when she says I am the law, at least when it comes to demons and things that kill people, like Anya did, she did have those frat boys killed. Um, mm -hmm. Although like, you know, Drew Goddard, and David Fury say it's maybe not the worst killing in the world, um, but <laughs> to kill frat boys. But um, the, you know, the fact is she was a demon who's killing humans. And so there is that sense of if this is happening, then Buffy is the right one to put a stop to it, regardless of who it is. Um, mm -hmm. But I agree with you. Like, it's not like she just made the choice to become Avengers demon. Like, at this point, she'd been a vengeance demon for a little while, and maybe it's the she hadn't killed anyone yet, or whatever mm. aspect to it. But I don't know. There, there does seem like, like yeah, like maybe a good talking to is the first step. Um, right, right. You know, right. And it's not the conclusion. It's it's the the quickness right. to the conclusion. Right. I think that felt a bit. Um, um, so, and, and I think the, the only reasonable conclusion there is the one that Xander makes, which is you guys were never really that close, clearly, to begin with. And then so then if you kind of use that as, as your reason of why Buffy gets there so quickly, then I think then there needs to be more of that here to back that up. Sure. Of like, okay, you're not just going to like, uh, you know, the way that, Buffy says, I don't want my friends to be out here alone. And, and Anya just comes back and everything's fine. And it's like, really? That's it? Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. have any more to unpack there? Um, the the, the so. devil's advocate position again, and not, I don't, again, necessarily believe this, but um, can see the argument being made here is that um, – Buffy says she sort of like happened upon like, oh, it's a good thing I came by. Right. And so maybe mm -hmm. there was a bigger, more sincere apology implicit in that dropping by. And then she mm -hmm. stumbled in on this assassin sent by the Hoffrin, you know, to kill Anya. And so it turns into, let me help you fight this demon off. And in doing so, maybe that, like, maybe by saving her life, that's the apology of, mm -hmm. I tried to kill you, and now I'm sorry, so now I'll save you. Um, mm -hmm. It does feel, again, pretty quick and 
whatever to me. So I like, I do, I totally get where you're coming from, but I could see that being like, and maybe that's, that's the writer, like, like knowing they want to bring Anya back into the Scoobies, you know, quickly mm-hmm. rather than dragging it out. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's how they do that is just to say, okay, well, maybe instead of trying to kill her, we have Buffy save her life. And so like that becomes sort of the quid pro quo, you know, Hey, sorry for trying to kill you last week thing. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, again, that's my devil's advocate position. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with it, but um, I could see, I could see some people sort of uh, rationalizing it that way. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, uh, as far as, I mean, as far as Anya goes, though, I mean, even though she comes back in, like, I don't know that she has a ton to do other than, like, like, again, like you were saying, like, it's almost like they just bring her back in the fold so that she can be another person to sort of swoon over RJ in this episode. Like, I don't, I don't know that, like, there's any character defining things that happen other than the quick apology. So even on that score, like, it feels a little like this episode's a little lacking. Um, yeah. I don't mean to yeah. keep and, like and, jumping and, and all I mean, over there's... it, but it, it does kind sure. of. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. I, I mean, then there's, there's a couple of funny bits with all the characters and stuff, sure. but, um, but even there, you know, I think, I think we're, we're past the, the standalone episodes phase um, where like, if I mean, if they are going to do a standalone, it probably needs to work really well on its own merits. Um, and otherwise I think it's more satisfying when it's something that's connected to the ongoing story. So even, even some of the humor, I feel like, especially with Anya, yeah, it's like, even if it's funny, does it quite work? Because are they really in that place? Yeah. Um, well, and so like, yeah, like, like, so sorry, robbing, robbing the bank and everything. And sure. it's like, okay, that's funny. But like, all right, did, did we bring her, like you said, did we bring her back so that she could be another girl to swoon and also, like, have a funny bit where she, like, gets to, like, rob a bank without consequences? Right. And, like, like is she is she really in the mood which, for that right now? I don't know. Which is, of so. course, like, again, like, so of course, right? Because Anya, money, rob a bank. Like, that's right, the clear right. tribute. Like, it's not even, like thinking that deeply about her as a person, you know, to like Mm -hmm. figure out what she would do. But, um, or even like the, the stuff with like, you know, Buffy gets the rocket launcher from way back in season two. Right. So you get to call back there where, um, you know, she's pointing it at, at principal, uh, wood, but like even that scene, like if you took principal wood out of that and put in like principal Snyder, like, that would just mm-hmm. even be, like, a funnier scene because you could see him getting really miffed and irritated. Like, something's going on, and I don't know what it is. But, like, with mm-hmm. Principal Wood, it's just kind of like, he just kind of, like, there's stuff going on, he kind of looks, and there's nothing there, and then he kind of goes. Right. Like, right. like, it's not even, like, the best use of that sort of, like, prop humor. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if, if you're going to have those funny bits in there, I feel like there are, like, even transplanting this, I, I mean, all right you can't just take this episode and put it five seasons back because they didn't think of it then. And it's, you know, whatever it is now, but it, it definitely has that feel of that season two episode of 
mm-hmm. of, of just having like a bunch of funny stuff happening and no real arc development going on right. um to the story right right no like huge like or not not they don't not they even have to be huge but no real like consequences yeah and and no real recognition of like how the characters have grown or at least changed whether whether it's growth i guess could be debated but the change in the characters since then like it, it is just kind of and you know maybe maybe there is that sense of it's the jacket right so it's but again even that's been done before like xander even alludes to it like the whole right. you know valentine's day thing with the potions and you know all the women swooning to him it's like different right. different prop but like same idea and you'd like to think that maybe maybe they could have even done it to where it was like an age thing rather than a gender thing of like where it would be kind of nice if Buffy as like being older and out of high school, like didn't fall for the jock in the jacket thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of maybe had a different dynamic there or, or I I guess that's where I'm trying to go with like the change and stuff like, Mm -hmm. you know, willow's a lesbian so like why is she falling for him like i don't know just some of those types of things like where it feels a little different than Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i don't anyway Mm -hmm. um i mean the other thing too that you kind of brought up before we started recording is um in light of recent events and in light of our discussion which we just had um, on the bonus episode, we actually, I mean, in, in our earlier discussion that we recorded earlier, we talked a fair bit, a fair amount about um, Xander and yes. criticism of him as a character. Like even before this stuff was published and became sort of known, um, his he's been criticized as kind of upholding a sort of nice guy persona that, again, maybe fancies itself enlightened and fancies itself a friend and champion of the women around him and yet maybe uh, falls into the same sort of possessive pitfalls that other guys can do sometimes. Um, And there have been a lot of people debating that on both sides. Like there are are defenders of... The writing as well um yeah but so i i didn't necessarily want to rehash that argument um because i think we both generally agree that we don't necessarily want to blame the writers for xander's failings and xander's opinions and sometimes representation does not equal endorsement um sure but, but on the other hand uh, it's it's like you kind of said it's hard not to notice it's not. It's it's hard for certain comments that he makes in episodes like this to become more noticeable in light of yes. this extra information, you know. And suddenly these things become a little bit more glaring, I think, than they were before. <laughs> so for me specifically, with this, what the interesting aspect to me just in watching this episode because I you know I always watch it at least twice once just to kind of refamiliarize myself with the episode and then again when I like take notes and stuff for our discussion Mm -hmm. and so for me 
the first time I watched this um, was last week um, after we had had our, our previous discussion. And I watched it and didn't really think much about some, you know, some of his comments. They were just kind of Xander jokes and, and whatever. Um, things like him, you know, uh, when Buffy's like, uh, so Don tries out for cheerleader using Buffy's outfit and then like goes home and like apparently cuts it up in like her distress. Right. And mm. Buffy, you know, she's like, I'll buy you a new one. And Buffy's like, well, I don't necessarily want a new one. That's not the point. And Xander goes like, Oh, well, don't be hasty. You know, obviously implying like, Hey, Buffy, let's see you in your, you know, new cheerleader outfit. Like that's the, the undertone there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the first time through it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, Xander joke. But like after then, right. like seeing the article from Kai Cole about how Joss Whedon, you know, had a number of affairs and, you know, had this sort of weird power dynamic in which he apparently used it to sleep with, you know, actors or fans or others that he came into contact with um kind of yeah like it for me it definitely had a different ring to it and and that's just one joke there's like three or four mm-hmm. and i mean maybe this is my maleness like maybe women notice all of those you know comments or or at least many more than i do um as as being something different than i would but i definitely kind of opened my eyes a little more than mm. I think I would have had I not, you know, read that article from Kai Cole and all. So I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to imply that I'm now woke or whatever. I'm sure I'll be as ignorant <laughs> about other stuff going forward, but I, I do feel like there's, there's a way to, um, you know, see some of that. Not that, not that these are good things that happen, but like, you know, those stories maybe like Kai Cole writing about that sort of thing that happened to her can, you know, at least bring a little bit more light. Um, one other mm-hmm. thing that I'll point out that, that didn't occur to me before, and I wasn't referring to it um, when we were talking before the episode, but um, one thing that just sort of occurred to me while we've been talking now is that there's also sort of, I think we would like to draw a distinction between um, like the high school football jocks and Xander like because you know mm-hmm. Xander's main character you know he's friends with Buffy and Willow and we kind of at least want to like him um even if that's not always what we actually how we actually react to him um but mm-hmm. uh there there's a similarity there in um not RJ but his his buddy there when they talk when the girls are talking about um holding cheerleader tryouts to replace um, the one girl who who hurt her leg or whatever. Um, and the guy's like, oh, are you going to make them jump up and down a lot? And, you know, and they kind of like laugh at it and say, ooh, gross, don't be a pig. And it's like, like you expect that, right? Like the portrayal, again, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the writers believe. And, and you want to believe that the writers wrote that in there to show how like piggish and, you know, right. demeaning and misogynistic that these jocks are being. But then you have Xander making like similarly demeaning and misogynistic jokes. And it's like, there's a parallelism there that isn't like 
called out in the episode itself. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not like right. like Buffy doesn't call Xander out for saying that stupid thing about the cheerleader outfit, right? It's just like left there to hang. Right. And right. you would like to think that there's like either like, hey, don't act like a stupid Jack Xander, or that he just wouldn't say that at all. And so that you could see by their actions that there's some that there is some kind of growth and difference between how they act towards the women in their lives or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't happen. And so you're just kind of left like, uh, there's a missed opportunity there. (laughs) Um, right. I I think, especially, especially given the sort of heavy handedness of the metaphor of the week. Um, Sure. Right. Right. You can't say that they're not aware of the gender dynamic because that's what the episode is about. So it's not like, Oh, that's not what this scene was about. Like, You don't have that excuse, yeah. Yeah, and I think it... it I think whether you want to call this the, the nice guy thing or whatever it is, like, there is something about, because it's Xander, because he's not the womanizing jock. Um, in some ways that, I mean, he wishes he was that and would sure. enjoy that, but in but in some ways, yeah, he gets away with things that go under the radar because he's a less kind of aggressive character that like, well, because he's one of the friends, it just by the friends and by the audience, you do, it does kind of just blow past you as, Oh, that's just Xander. He says stuff like that. And he doesn't really mean it in a demeaning way. And it doesn't matter that like, apparently what he's saying is the same as the sexist jock dude is saying, but like somehow when Xander says it, it's okay. Um, yeah, and I guess maybe that's the kind of a good thing to kind of realize is like even if you say it without like malicious intent, you know, these things have it's real words and they have consequence and everything. Um, yeah. Well, and even if people don't realize it at the time, it's it's perpetrating a a a way of acting that is accepted by people. Yeah, and and you just I mean when you were talking it reminded me then of course like there's at the end where Xander implies that he did try the jacket on but it was too small right like mm-hmm. like wait a minute so after seeing what it did to all these women and rightfully being concerned about the effect that it had on them you were gonna subject them to the same thing for your own sake like that Mm -hmm. seems not good um Mm -hmm. right well and and when he he mentioned the callback to when he had the like the love potion and and all the women and it's oh it's funny they're they're so in love with him they're all gonna like kill him and suffocate him but and he's kind of nostalgic about it and like oh good times and it's like yeah like it it is it, it the impulse is to say like well who wouldn't enjoy that kind of attention and that's only natural and he's just being Xander and all these things but like you get enough of comments like this and you start to see like okay there is a pattern of mm. enjoying having that kind of power or that kind of influence um and maybe because he's not the hot jock he is able to convince himself that like he can just say this stuff and it won't matter because Because that's never going to be, that's not going to be me anyway. So like, what does it like, 
yeah, I'm just joking. Like that's the fallback of every, everybody who's caught saying these types of things, right? Is like, right. well, well and, it was just a joke. Right. Like get over it. You don't have a sense of humor. Like what's wrong with right. you? That's shifts, the reaction. It shifts the blame onto the person who can't take the joke. Right. Like, right. Right. Which is 99 times out of a hundred, a woman, right? Like, <laughs> right. It, yeah. Certainly in these kinds of, I mean, in, in this gender dynamic, I mean, because not that there's no, not that women behave the right way toward men all the time, but there is a power imbalance in, in the culture that I kind of, you know, even if women can be just as, you know, bad in their choices or the way they behave or whatever, it's, it's, there's still a difference of who has power and who doesn't. Um, I mean, not things are changing and could continue to change, but yeah, I think that's why most of the time it is going to go in that one direction because, uh, it's very easy to write off the women um, as they do with Dawn here. I mean, nobody takes her seriously mm. in her, in her feelings, even though she's very, I'm mean, maybe especially because she's so intense with her displays of love and affection and everything. Um, yeah. Well, so, yeah, and and it's I and mean, and maybe if they kind of realized, put a little more thought into it, maybe they would have said. I mean, now it looks like a teenage infatuation, so there's that. But also, right. like maybe if they'd taken her a little more seriously, it wouldn't have unraveled into this big thing. Like you could have said, like, "Hey, we live in Sunnydale. Could there be a spell at work here? It's not the first love potion we've ever seen." Um, but because everybody writes it off as stupid teenagers, you know, mm -hmm. then it's like very easy to dismiss something yeah. um, and not really explore what is really going on. Well, and especially when it's like I said before, it's like the older women too. not older, but like, right. like, I mean, they are older, but like, right. you know, right. out Mature. of out of yeah. high school, you know, adult women yeah. <laughs> who are. Um, above all that silliness. Well, who who have been at least through it before and understand what's going on, and so like I think so. If I could retcon or, or rewrite this episode, right? Like, mm -hmm. like I think I would have liked to seen it more. Like maybe let's bring back what was um oh gosh I can't even remember her name now. What was Dawn's friend name that she made like the first day of school there? Um. You know, she. Oh, I don't remember. Like the, you know, it was like the new Scoobies, like which you kind of thought was mm -hmm. going to be this, and then like we never see these <clears throat> other two people again. Um, but like, yeah, Do we maybe really never see them again. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, we don't. Sorry, I, I mean, it's not really a spoiler because like that's funny. But yeah, like they no, totally I, set fine. it up to be like there's this new group that Don's kind of the leader of, and then there's nothing there, and. Like, it would be nice to see, like, like, maybe that's the other girl who, like, you know, is fighting over RJ and there's hijinks between Dawn and her and, 
and the cheerleaders and whatever. And then it's like Buffy and Willow and Anya who come in and are like, hey, let's be reasonable. And because in the end, ultimately, it's it's Xander and Spike who take the jacket and burn it. And what so it's like you have these men saving the women from, you know, their silly, hysterical, you know, fawning over the high school jock when it's like it would be nicer if maybe you had like the older women like showing the younger women like hey there's a better way here (laughs) like you know maybe Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. not you know worth getting into fights and whatever over this guy who's you know only real claim to fame is is tenuous at best and after high school he's going to be working at a pizza shop like his older brother you know kind of thing mm-hmm. um so anyway i can't rewrite it so we can't have that story instead but i'm just saying like that <laughs> might have been a better way to go rather than having buffy turn into a 15 yeah. year old again you know right right um anywho uh, yes. I don't. So, like, we've talked Alas, a lot about we cannot, the, yeah, the the metaphor stuff, but I, like, there's there's nothing else to talk about because, like, as we've said, there's no like arc stuff going on here. So, I kind of feel I don't unless there's more there that you want to discuss about any of the characters. Okay. No, no, I I don't I don't think so. I mean, to go through the plot, I think would be giving yeah. it a little more. Uh, analysis than it probably needs um it's kind of uh just a an escalation of hijinks and hysteria and silliness up until they kind of you know figure it out and and break the spell and everything so in terms of the plot i think that it's pretty much self-explanatory um Mm. so yeah yeah i guess so just my final thought is that I think had we had this in season two, we might've even said it was one of the better ones or certainly at least like, you know, an average episode, like, mm-hmm. like certainly not mm-hmm. one of the, but uh, like it, it just, it's that lack of like growth or like de- like we've come to expect more from a Buffy episode. I think in, you know, the five years between then and now that it just kind of, yeah, it it really sort of just fizzles out this season, I think, and and comparatively, just feels so much weaker um, than some of the episodes, mm-hmm. even that we've gotten so far, and we haven't even gotten to, I think, some of the best episodes this season yet. Sure. Well, I I like Selfless a lot, but I mean, there yeah, are yeah. there are some really good ones to come as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, Including the next Buffy yep. episode, which isn't next week. We'll have an Angel episode in between. But the next Buffy episode is uh, really uh, well taken one. Co-written by Jane Espenson and Drew Goddard. So um, mm. some some pretty good stuff coming up. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Um, with that in mind, though, we should probably move on to BSG. Um which, again, with the plot, like, well, I, well, I kind of feel like maybe in some ways it's opposite. Like, there just isn't mm-hmm. much plot at all. 
Like, mm-hmm. like the Buffy episode is like all plot and no real character development. This is all like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much character development there is, but it's all just like characters talking to each other. And mm-hmm. um, there is some development. There's more development than in the Buffy episode, for sure. But um, mm-hmm. not a ton of plot in, in you know, this episode of BSG. Um, like a few right, things right. happen, but it's really like, like there's two... You know, this is another, like, where we get, like, two primary locations. So you have the Galactica and you have the Demetrius um, right. and their respective uh, cast. Um, on the Galactica, it's it's a limited cast. It's pretty much just Tyrrell, Tori, and Baltar. And then you get, like, one little brief scene with Ty. Um, right, but there's, like, no Adama and Rosalind yeah. or Lee or the politics or any of that, so it's... No, yeah, it's, it's and quite... it, right, it's really just, like, them just kind of talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Demetrius side of things, it's, um, you know, Starbuck and sort of um, all the other, like, all the secondary players that we would normally see on the Galactica. Um, right, or over on Demetrius. You know, or over yeah. on Demetrius. But, like, again, like, it's, I mean, it's Starbuck... There's a little stuff with like Hilo and the rest of the crew um, mm-hmm. and Sam. And then you get like the addition of Leobin um, coming in. But it's not like, again, it's mostly just talking like there's a little a little more plot stuff with Demetrius, but not a ton. And right. so it's just kind of um, not bad stuff. It's just kind of a, a different dynamic than um, we normally get. Um, mm-hmm. So. Right, like, there's no big, like, action, there's no mission of any kind, no big, like, uh, strides are made towards anything. It's more just, like, characters making in, you know, these tiny little, like, incremental steps towards something, Mm -hmm. some change. But, But even that is, like, little baby steps. It's not, um... They may be profound in their consequences, but we don't get to the consequences yet. It's all like nudging people yeah. and into whatever is coming, where they need to be, what's coming next. And it is a cliffhanger episode, like well, a to right. be a to be continued episode anyway. Um, right. So there is that right. aspect so to it. So some like setup, yeah. Um, I think we've had that before, where like the first of a two-parter is like really kind of plotless and it's like hard to talk mm-hmm. about because then like all this stuff happens in the next episode. <laughs> um, right, right. So, you know, we can talk about that next week maybe, but um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of go through and maybe, I do think there is a little bit of character development, especially in the Galactica side of things. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start there and kind of talk through that stuff. And then we can uh, jump over to the Demetrius and see, you know, what we can pull out of that. But um, mm-hmm. with Galactica, you get the start of Baltar is like like he's expanding his um, congregation. I almost mm-hmm. said audience, but I think congregation is a better word, right? Like sure. he's. Yeah. Um, you know, he's still doing his well, meetings. And, 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 and both, because he has a, a a congregation coming to services to listen to him and meet with him, but also then he's broadcasting. So there is like a an audience out there that's just listening to things over the radio. Sure. Or like, 
a televangelist kind of thing. Right, sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, you get him showing, like, this picture and asking, you know, the woman in front of him, like, how she feels. And she talks about feeling angry, not just at the Cylons, but also, like, the people who helped to build them. And then even like the gods, and that sort of sets him. That that's it. That leads him into his. Now maybe she was a plant. I don't know. But like it leads him into his message, right? Like, right. It's a good segue. He, he's yeah. done enough extemporaneous speaking that he can sort of bring it around to whatever he wants to talk about. But um, mm -hmm. you know, talking about the gods aren't listening, and um, you know that's because they don't exist, and. Um, now, you know, they're, you know, sort of reeling from that and uh, kind of, he kind of brings it around, you know, as usual to himself and how persecuted he is and um, choosing to forgive people and then, you know, forgiving himself first, you know, uh, among everyone else. Like, you know, that, that whole, it's so... And actually, I, I bring up the televangelist thing, but um, I, and I don't actually not even but like because these aren't necessarily mutually exclusive and maybe are explicitly not mutually exclusive. Um, there's almost a, like a prosperity gospel aspect to like mm. kind of what he's saying. Not quite because he's not quite preaching the if you do this, then you'll prosper. But there is that like that whole like forgive yourself first like it's a it's a very selfish approach to religion um mm -hmm. in a way that like isn't typically thought of maybe in in most you know it's not the humble religion it's it's the you know if you believe in yourself and if you um mm -hmm. you know accept yourself for who you are then you'll find that like you're perfect and god will accept you and i feel like that's very close to that prosperity gospel message of like mm. you know god wants you to prosper and you know by prospering you're doing god's will and it's like okay right. is that like always true like every way that you can like make money means it's God's will. Like, is that really actually right, true? Right. Or, or those who are successful, that's proof that they're morally right. superior. Like that's proof of something. And if you're, let's say poor, it's because you, you know, of some failing in you, like you, you're not, you know, if you're not prospering, it's because yeah. you haven't, done the right thing whatever that is right. um so again i don't want to draw a one-to-one -one right, comparison right. here because i i don't i don't think that they're saying the same things but i get it's like that same sense or that same right. vibe right. that i get from um baltar's you know sermons here and and talking through right. you know what his what you know his sort of theology or, or theological understanding uh of mm -hmm. of the truth um about what it takes right. to be saved and forgiven and um right you know that, right. that whole i am some, god aspect and there's some new ageiness to it which is maybe the thing that makes it feel different from sure mainstream you know or or traditional sort of christian theology that kind of we're all really perfect. And if you forgive yourself, then you'll become one with God. That kind of thing is maybe 
feeling a little more like neo-pagan or whatever, but, um, but yeah, that, that slimy sense of he's more, he's as, he's still as much a politician and a salesman as he is a priest, like that he's selling something that people want to hear. Um, yeah. So if you, if you're, prosperous if you're successful that must mean you're doing right by god or by your faith um and yeah here the the his religion of narcissism that the the most important thing is to forgive yourself for whatever Mm -hmm. sins you've you've committed which is so different from lee's speech about forgiveness of it's not about absolving yourself for for the bad things you've done. It's about recognizing that whatever forgiveness you've been given is undeserved. You know, which is I think Lee's speech is more typically Christian in that way. Of of it's not about some. It's not something you can give yourself. It's something that's given to you mm. with no sense of choice or earning on your sense. Sure. Or I mean, or at maybe least, in the sense at of at least a, a sort of Protestant understanding. Anyway, I don't know. Yes, um, right. Yeah, it, um, like yeah, like American Protestant evangelical kind of right. You know, um, right. That right. That like salvation and grace come from this undeserved forgiveness from God. It's not something that you can just sort of decide to do on your own. Um, it's if you're going to make that decision, then you have to accept it from outside yourself. Um, so that's kind of, there's a big difference between, even though they're both kind of preaching forgiveness, they kind of, in some ways are very far apart from each other. Mm. Sure. Um, so yeah, so this is Baltar, like his ministry is growing. Um, and you know, uh, I, so we're we're gonna skip around a bit, I think, just because like yeah, of how the interactions go. Um, you get that like Tyrrell's listening to him on mm-hmm. the radio, and he's doing this while first of all he shaved his head, um, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with that. I do it a couple times a week. Um, no. No, but it does make him look like slightly I, psychopathic. I, <laughs> I I will say that my hair was naturally choosing to leave my head like right. on its own, so I just sort of went with it. Um, Tyrrell had a full head of hair, nice thick locks right, that right. he could have kept. Um, right. Whether there's a psychological component to someone who has that much hair wanting to shave it all off, I guess right. is you know. Um, for someone else to decide I'm, I'm not a clinical psychologist i can't make that determination but um well and that it comes after this traumatic sure um, i'm suicide apparent suicide of his wife and everything makes it feel like there's some psychoanalysis to be done al- there. although um, i feel like i'm being obvious i'll state it explicitly i am being tongue-in-cheek when i say that i totally agree with you that there's a definitely a psychological component here at least certainly implied and yeah i mean he's full of anger and 
like also there's something like it's like not just the baldness but like jumping rope at the same time like yeah like there's very much right. a um yeah like i'm in my bunk training and shaving my head and right you know looking at pictures it's, of someone i just lost like it's it's very without like the racism it's very taxi driver like you know like i like, almost said that and didn't just yes you're right like it's like l lone lone sad guy in his room going completely like crazy tough guy doing whatever he right. thinks he's going to doing and like nobody realizes he's in there going slightly crazy yeah um and hopefully you don't come out and like start shooting people no, you because that's what happened in taxi driver you, you, you <laughs> totally expect him to turn to a mirror on the wall and be like you talking to me right and, exactly. And yes. Yeah. Um, he doesn't come out shooting people, but I mean, there is that moment where he puts the gun to his own head, you know, so there's the potential for um, that. Yeah. Right. You right. know, again, not not the actions of maybe a completely sane person. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, so he's definitely yeah, he's bald. He's jumping rope. He's going a little psycho. Um, Tori comes to talk to him right and he sort of is questioning like what really happened here and i don't know like do we know exactly like what tyrol and ty and, and them know about the situation because like i guess tori had nikki at that point right because she pushes right Callie and then opens the airlock right. or the shoot right because it's like the the right. the tunnel for the um vipers um do but i don't like i don't know if we if we know exactly what like how much the others know about like did, did she tell them she found nikki like off to the side like did she take him back to like well tiro was in their quarters right when callie Mm -hmm. is jettison so is like like bring i don't remember exactly how that all plays out i don't and, think we ever find out really like yeah. if she because i feel either she must have either taken nikki back and said that she found him there and and deduced what happened or something or or else the other is that she leaves nikki and like let somebody else find him and right. come to their own conclusions which, or something. And I don't think we ever find out which The latter seems more Tory-like to me. Um, well, and it seems more like that would be the thing to deflect the most suspicion. Like, if she brings well, right. That's kind Nikki of what I mean. back to like Tyrrell, yeah. It seems yeah. like the, it, the reason it's the most Tory-like is because it seems like Smart. the thing that... that <laughs> and, and that distances herself from... Right the other, you know, stuff. Like, leaves her less in suspicion of the death or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I guess we don't know. We never will know. But um, Tyrrell seems to be questioning, like, that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what he's questioning when he's like, you know, I went to Coddle and found out Callie was on these antidepressants. And, and how does she go from one, from that to suicide? And Tori's like, well, she was emotionally disturbed and blah, blah, blah. And and then Tyrrell's like, well, but, like, she would have left me. Like, we all know they weren't having the greatest of relationships. 
but she never would have left Nikki behind, which is interesting to me. Because, one, we saw, like, Callie with Nikki at the shoot. Like, does that mean that she would have, like, killed Nikki, too? Like, with herself? Mm -hmm. Like, as she's committing suicide? Or does that mean she would have stuck around for Nikki's sake? Mm -hmm. And, like, either interpretation is possible. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it has to be one or the other. Like, me, well, I mean... It literally has to be one or the other because, like, she can't both die and not die. But, right. like, but she's like, she I could see either us. of yeah. those things being an outcome. Like, right, right. But the strange outcome is that she died and Nikki is still here. Mm-hmm. Like, either they should both be here or they should both be gone. Like, that's the thing that Tyrrell can't quite get past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the other thing is, I will say, like, um, there are antidepressants where actually, um, I know there's been a problem, and I think more so in, like, children and teens and stuff, where it actually can yeah. increase your propensity to commit suicide, which is, like, a weird, yep. weird yep. thing like that. So, like, I mean, Tyrrell's, like, this is, like, maybe that's, like, a writer's flaw, like, they didn't do enough research or, or no you know, enough about, like, what they're talking about. So, like, there is that thing of, like, well, actually, just because you're taking antidepressants doesn't mean you're not going to commit suicide. Like, that's... Right, and in some cases, it may even make that more likely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially when you find out, like, like with her, like, she was taking all these medicines, but also not getting sleep and, like, had a lot of stress and then finds out this, like, really devastating thing about her husband and others that she trusts and so you know all of those lead to like paranoia and and whatnot but um so yeah so that part at least i can understand but like like the thing that seems like the clincher for him is is that she left nikki behind and and that Mm -hmm. seems like i mean that seems plausible like from what we know of her character that like she because she didn't right like nikki was taken from her basically Mm -hmm. so like like that totally like that Tyrrell would know that. Um, the other interesting thing to me is the sort of change that he has in heart of about her, about her characteristic, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. like her as a person, because there's, Mm -hmm. uh, not that he says a lot about her characteristics, but like, it's a, much different portrayal than you know talking about how she smelled like cabbage right (laughs) in in the last episode like yeah like there's definitely and again like that like he was trying to get at adama's ire there so sure but i don't i don't think that necessarily means like we can just say he didn't believe what he said he was (laughs) joking just joking Yeah. yeah like i think he he kind of seemed like he really believed what he was saying in those moments so mm-hmm. um but there it does seem to be like a bit of a different um tone to him saying to like baltar like you didn't know her like you didn't really know right. her and he said that same thing to adama but like meant a very different thing by it <laughs> like so um mm-hmm. I, yeah i don't know i mean I don't know that this is like, like we were talking about with Buffy and Anya, you know, like the swing from one to the other. I don't, I don't 
he's certainly in a much heightened like emotional state so maybe mood swings or or maybe there's enough time pass that like he's had a little bit more moderation in his thought towards mm-hmm. Callie um especially thinking now that like it might not have been a suicide um mm-hmm. but those are that I mean that sort of jumped out at me as well like that that he has a, a maybe not a completely different portrayal as far as like the words he uses but like the things that he means by them seems to be somewhat different right Right. He's, again, like, defensive of her memory rather than um, trying to tear it down. Um, And it's like, he's still clearly, I I mean, I think to to contrast it with Buffy and Anya, since you kind of brought that up, there it's more like they're at each other's throats and distraught one week and then just kind of like, good besties again the next um whereas like here he's clearly still we're talking we're comparing him to taxi drivers so he's clearly not recovered um but the the it's it's shifted somewhat and it's like I guess maybe he's still angry but it's more at himself than at her anymore like I guess maybe the anger was more at her and about her choice but also like his anger that he chose her and kind of maybe wasted like his life with her in a way that he got stuck with her and didn't hold out for the one he really loved he kind of settled and and takes that out on her memory by saying all the worst things that he can think of to say about her whereas like here it seems like he has gotten over that a bit and is, you know, his memory of her is more nuanced again. And it's more about like the anger that he clearly has is more about himself. Um, you the big discussion of forgiveness, his rejection of Baltar's philosophy is that idea of the, I've, I've done things that are unforgivable and mm. Ty even says anything I've done, I can live with. And Tyrrell says, well, that's the difference between us. I can't. And that's his kind of thing that's dragging him down now is living with his own nature, his own actions and everything. So I think he's still very angry and disturbed, but it's like the focus of that has changed since the last episode. Mm. And if we're assuming that these stories are happening more or less at the same time, I think they stamp the Demetrius plot as being like day 58 of the mission or something. So it's like, wasn't it day 22 the last time we saw them? So it's like several months later. Time has passed, yeah. So that's kind of the impression I have here too is like maybe since the last episode, it's two or three months later and. He's clearly, again, still disturbed, but, like, he's not as uh, furious at her as he was when it first happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I mean, you get that from Baltar, too. Like, he has his little wireless 
radio and mic. He's got his new robes. Like he's a little more tricked out than he was before. Like he had his big moment of clarity, but now two months later, he has like an actual, like they're a little more organized in their cultishness. Um, so you see some suggestion that like a little bit of time has passed. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> um, so I guess, um, so you mentioned Ty and I mean, it's really only a brief conversation. Like you said, like kind of the, the main point is Tyrrell still kind of wondering if like they're the same people that they were. And like, I guess by this point, if you're still questioning it, then like, maybe you're not <laughs> like, yeah. like if, if you really can't convince yourself that you are, then like, you know, just embrace the fact that you're not, which is kind of what Tori has done. Um, right. Ty seems per perfectly fine with accepting that he's the same, um, even in the face of some, uh, not standard Ty protocol, right? right? Like, which right, which well, typical tie? He can resolve any contradiction in his mind. Yeah, of but like, which, oh, I'm the same salt tie I always was. While well, he's behaving completely uncharacteristically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and people are noticing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like people are noticing, and including like Tyrrell, like including Tyrrell, who's slowly been going psychotic over the last month. Like, even he notices that Ty's doing things that Ty wouldn't normally do. Like, right. um, I mean, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, but, like, there is that sense of, like, yeah, like, you're not being as sneaky as you seem to think you are, right? Um, yeah. So, but, yeah, like, again, like, Ty, whether it's true or not, he's at least saying, like, hey... I can I can believe, you know, that I'm the same person that I've always been. Um, mm -hmm. Tori's completely opposite. Um, and I guess Sam's also kind of in the middle, but like he's st like mm -hmm. starstruck still with Starbuck, right? Like, right. Um, right. So he's kind of off doing his own thing. And and it's like Tyrrell who's like waffling in the middle here, like not really mm -hmm. sure what's going on. Um, so yeah, I don't, I mean, just kind of to point that out, but he goes, um, I get like, it seems like he went to, I, maybe I missed exactly what happened here, but like, he went to go listen to Baltar, like in person, right? Like, is that why he's there? Like, he's not just there to meet Ty, but like Ty is also there. So like, that's kind of weird. Um, right, right. And then, like, right? No, I don't think that was an arranged meeting. I think there people are curious. People are getting curious about right Curi what Baltar has to say. Curiouser yeah. and curiouser, and like, yes. So like, but like, Tyrrell's there to like listen to Baltar, and like Baltar like calls him out like as he's like le you know trying to leave, um, which is always the way. Like you know do. You don't try to get up in the middle of like a sermon because you're always going to get called out on. 
yeah. um, says the son of a preacher. But um, so this is the voice the, of experience. Yes, this is. Yeah. yeah, if you draw attention to yourself, the preacher will. Like they can literally see everything that's going on. So yeah, you know, be as still as you can. Make sure your book is hidden so you can read while. Uh, no, right. I, I never did that. But um, right. If if you don't move, maybe they won't notice you. You right. know the old like Jurassic um, Park rule. Right, or like at least don't turn the page too loud. Um, right, right, right. But yeah, uh, not yeah. that we've ever done anything like that. Yeah. So like you know, Baltar sort of calls him out and. Uh, tries to get him like in the name of Callie he like tries to get Tyrrell to like come up yeah. and and like forgive himself you know kind of whatever you know th there are some sins that even your imaginary god can never forgive is is Tyrrell's sort of response but like Baltar is like you know oh Callie would have wanted this and like all this stuff and and Tyrrell's just not having it Right, like he no. he goes, um, you know, Callie wasn't like me. She forgave you for New Caprica, even read your manifesto, but not me. Uh, you may have your sheep fooled; they may be buying into your message of forgiveness. But let me tell you, there are some sins even your imaginary God can never forgive. And like, then like storms off, and then that's where like, well, I mean, he like attacks Baltar first, and then like mm -hmm. storms off and briefly puts a gun to his head his own head mm -hmm. and it's like yeah not sure what to do about that um but then again you get him like just laying in bed and baltar comes to his quarters and basically apologizes um mm -hmm. i mean he says he, he does say he's sorry yeah i hardly knew your wife i'm sorry and then he as as baltar does he keeps talking right um talking about like his own journey and you know what he believes now is his purpose and and evolution and and changing to become more than what he was um and accepting his fate and so um yeah just kind of like like you get like the Tyrrell stare right like mm -hmm. for a while but i mean they kind of end up maybe not friends but like at least peaceful towards each other now right like mm -hmm. i don't i don't know if tyro's quite a convert at this point but like mm -hmm. he's at least like okay like at least acknowledges that maybe baltar is actually sincere about what he's doing mm -hmm. and saying so um yeah yeah I don't I don't know if you have anything to add to any of that but um I think that sincerity is sort of where where we end up with like they, they at least right, both right. acknowledge you know that the other actually believes what they're saying and that it's not it's at least not completely a sham like maybe Baltar's wrong but he at least believes the wrong thing like that he actually believes it and isn't just sort of trying to do people right right and that kind of never had really jumped out to me before but um earlier in the episode when baltar and tori are together and um she says something about 
Right, he, like, he asks, like, if Roslyn knows about him, what he's doing, and the situation and everything, and she kind of, I, I don't know if she's totally telling the truth or not, but kind of says, like, oh, yeah, I told her all about it and everything. And, um, and she says something about how, like, Which we're really I not kind that of, cons- I kind of think she's probably lying there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suspect so, too. So, yeah, we should maybe keep an eye on that, um... In future episodes, yeah. because that's my that's my sense too. And I'm basing it completely um, on the last episode where you had Roslyn like talking about Baltar and trying to slip through like these secret, you know, uh, right laws and whatever, and like talking about how dangerous he is, and Tori like sitting yeah. there kind of glancing at her side. Like I don't think Tori would ever admit. To being a part of Baltar's harem. But she would totally torture Baltar with the idea that she had. Right. And and more so, um, you know, kind of says, like, well, they're not really that concerned with you because, like, nobody of consequence is is following you. So, like, you're kind of like this joke or whatever. And it kind of made me wonder, like, in that first instance where he calls out Tyrrell in the in the sermon. Like, is this, is this his attempt to try to recruit somebody of consequence? Like, oh, somebody of, of influence in the fleet who sure. maybe if I can make some, or, some, build some bridges over here, this might uh, start to impress some more notable people or whatever. Or um, a for, former so, influence anyway. <laughs> right. And maybe he does. I don't know how much Baltar knows about Tyrrell's sort of fall from grace here. Um, but, but I think that's, there's a different sense from that and the end where you do feel like it's more sincere. Like, um, it's not about, or at least maybe not all about just getting like a notable follower. It's, it's about, actually making some sort of reconciliation um Mm. you know and i kind of like you know i kind of believe baltar when he says that he's sorry and he wishes that he knew callie you know like yeah well that's like like tyrell says like like she did forgive him she did start to listen to some of his ideas when he was like writing his manifestos and stuff like they weren't she wasn't um the most scarred by the new Caprica experience, right? Like she was kind of one of the ones that said like, there are times where it wasn't all that bad. Not that she thought Baltar was a great president, but like she was able to get over the trauma of that. I think maybe better than a lot of other people were. Mm. So I, I like there was some affinity between Callie and Baltar that like, maybe they could have gotten along a little bit. Um, sure. eventually, um, you know, I mean, they went on their, their COBOL mission together and everything too. Like they oh, had right. some, they had some good times. I forgot so about that actually. Yeah. I, like, I feel like there's sincerity when Baltar and it's not, he doesn't make it about himself. That's the difference is it's not about, he, he says he's sorry, but he doesn't do that so that Tiro will forgive him. Sure. It's more just about expressing sorrow and expressing an apology 
and and it's just the the blessing at the end is that Tyrrell does reach out his hand and they kind of do make a little bit of peace. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't it doesn't seem like Baltar's there to try to manipulate or engineer that outcome. Right. Which is of course the only way you're ever going to get that forgiveness is if you stop kind of trying to get it from people. Like if they sense you're not sincere, they're never going to believe you. Um like Baltar, that's a lesson that Baltar still has to sort of learn, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, we should probably switch over to the Demetrius, though, and talk about stuff going on there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, which <laughs> boils down to more of Starbuck sort of equivocating about like where to go next mm-hmm. um not having any more luck and quickly running out of fuel it seems like and options right um and right. they're like two days from two days from the rendezvous and also like down to like their last bits of like fuel too so right um yeah and like down to the last straw with the crew who are on the verge of mutiny at the beginning of the episode and by the end of it are you know no longer verging um in in full mutiny yeah yeah uh yeah i don't i mean honestly that's like the whole part of the demetrius (laughs) no i mean a little more happens so but like that's real like in broad strokes that's they're they're almost gonna mutiny and then they do mutiny. Um, right, right. That's the plot. Yeah. So, in between that happening, um, you get Hilo still trying to be a good XO and support Starbuck as the captain, even though you can sort of tell like even he's at his last straw, um, and yeah. ultimately refuses to, you know. Um, second a command that Starbuck gives at the end uh, to jump. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's trying to keep the others in line. Even even Athena, like, who mm-hmm. seems to, like, be, like, generally she goes along with Hilo, right? What, you know, which isn't maybe wholly unexpected, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, she's kind of has enough right, of but it, like, too. And is, she doesn't like to, like, make... She doesn't like to, like, make waves that make her, like, seem dangerous or rebellious, right? Like, she's the one that has to, like, prove her value to everyone all the time. So it is kind of significant that she's, like, and, like, that that she and Hilo are divided on this. That, like, you know, he can't believe that she would suggest mutiny. And she's, like, kind of, like, needling him, like... Like, and he's like, oh, we're going to do this. And she's like, and you just go along with it. Like, she's, like, pushing him to have a bit more spine and try to, like, stand up and, and make something happen here. Yeah. Um, right. So in between all of that, though, you get, um, they stumble upon, well, so Starbuck and Athena go out in diapers and then hear this broadcast signal um, 
which turns out to not just be like a recording, but it's like Leoben, <laughs> like him, like actually one of the models, right? Um, right. Like right. there on this sort of defunct base star. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bring him in, which like, if the crew's already not happy, hey, bring on a confirmed Cylon and that'll make them yeah. even happier. Like, uh, and especially one known for his sort of deceit and twisting right, of right. words. Like the one that like, like is the one that you bring and he manipulates you from within, right. you know, that kind of, um, he has that reputation. And, you know, and then, you know, Starbuck just making her decisions that she makes, um, like instead of throwing him in the brig, send him to my bedroom, you know, right. <laughs> like. Right, right. Um, and you get everybody's like weirded out, like yeah. double takes as they all like look at each other like, what did you just Yeah, say? what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and of course, and then Sam, of course, is not right. thrilled with that. Um, and Leoben being Leoben, eggs him on, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, the long and short of it is Leoben tells her that there's like a dissension in the Cylon ranks and offers to help, um, you know, sort of proposes an alliance between the fleet, the, you know, the, the human fleet and his faction of the Cylons uh, to find Earth together. And um, I mean, that's basically it. Like there's not, I mean, there's dialogue and stuff and, and like Sam has his moments with him. Uh, alone and there's some beatings uh going on but um and also some psychological warfare uh but yeah Mm -hmm. like like again like not a ton of like it's like a lot of like little conversation here and there um and and you get starbuck deciding at the end to you know real to to go for it right and not return to the galactica um, and then that's when mm-hmm. that that's what triggers the mutiny is is this idea that they're going to be sort of out there indefinitely um, having no fuel or very little fuel left and not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, right. It's like that thing of right. like, and if, like if you know and if something happens, no one will know what happened to them. Like they they have no way of right. communicating to 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 Adama to say hey, there's a risky plan, but we're going to take it. So if you don't hear from us in a day, like send the search party, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah. nope. We ba- it's, it's in a position where they only have two choices. You either go back or you have to go forward. Like now Hilo tries to convince her. And, and I don't know if there are ever really good arguments as to why this wouldn't be a good idea mm-hmm. is, is to like go back refuel regroup and then go to the base star but i guess it just is a question of if you do that you may miss your one and only window and and that's it in the search for earth that's just too big of a of a maybe yeah and and switch out your crew (laughs) like switch out your crew get some showers yeah some fresh people who've been standing around cic for a while yeah um well yeah and just i mean a crew that would be more amenable and controllable. Um, right, right. 
you know, to what you're looking right. to do. Like, you know, because that's part of it is, um, you know, Sam. Right. They're they're uh, they're against her already. They're all, like they're kind of at their end of their tether anyway. You know, calling back to when Sam said, "Hey, you know, some people volunteered for this." The implication being that he's the only one who volunteered. Like, right. like maybe you just need a new group of you know, um, you know, consignees or whatever. Like, like mm -hmm. maybe the next group won't be um, volunteers either, but at least like these people aren't going to rise up against you, um, mm -hmm. which has to be a good thing. But yeah, right. I, I, right. you know. Right. They'll be fresh and ready for the mission rather than like three months in and desperate and getting so that they just want to go home. Right. That's literally all that they want. Right. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I kind of like the little, like, I guess it's kind of a fake out, but it's more of just a, a, a Starbuck and the crew just totally not understanding and talking past each other of, of that moment when she comes in with the eulogy and like, it's awkward, but also like, it's, very sincere you can say like, like you can see that she really takes a lot of responsibility for that that like I was responsible for my crew and I didn't protect them and this person died and there's no purpose to it it was a stupid mistake and it's my fault and you can kind of feel everybody like like becoming a little bit more understanding right. like even just that little showing of empathy from her of not just like I'm the captain up in my own quarters and I'll tell you when it, like when to jump and how high and just do what I say. Like the fact that she accepts some responsibility and some like has some regret of what happened, like they're immediately like, oh, like okay, like maybe we've been too hard. Like you could just feel that like in the in the scene. And then like clearly like this was a mistake we're all ready to go and and gate is like okay we've got the coordinates like you just tell us when and and she's like yeah we're not doing that and like instantly like everybody's up to 11 again of yeah. um which and it just it's that talking past each other of they didn't see it coming that obviously she has a mission that she's never ever going to turn away from but also that she doesn't realize the extent to which she's completely like jerking them around and like, you know, giving them hope where like there really wasn't any. And yeah, there's no sense of her trying to con convert them to her cause. It's just do what I say because I said it and that's it. Yep. Um, which has kind of, been something they could somewhat handle for the first three months but like now that they're on their last bit of fuel it's that's too much and right they're ready to go so like mutiny has been a little motif throughout like we've had characters kind of refuse orders and stuff but never like a whole crew like it's always been like you know, Lee refuses to do something and pulls a gun on tie or so-and-so refuses an order or does something wrong or whatever. But like, 
here it's like an actually like you know a captain who's giving orders to her crew who just flat out refuse to obey them which i feel like is kind of a escalation of that theme Mm -hmm. sure um yeah so yeah i i mean long and short of it is that they uh end on the cliffhanger there right like you know i mean it, the mutiny is is going down but like tune in next week right to talk about where where things are going right to see like the the fallout from that yeah um um and it is very clearly to to bolster your point about sam as the only volunteer it's very clearly like just sam that agrees with her like he's right it's not it's not like they're split down the middle here it's like sam is the only one who's is supporting Kara in this and everybody else has had it sure um anyway so yeah i mean i i don't know if you have anything else to say about the episode in general i mean it is a cliffhanger like we said so or a to be continued anyway and so we'll get resolution more so i think next week and can talk through some of that mm-hmm. and maybe um and maybe we can just end it a little bit early this week but um uh, yeah any any last thoughts uh no i don't think so all right well then with that in mind we'll be back with another episode of angel uh episode written and directed by joss whedon uh next week this this is the one this season uh, of angel that we get from him so um yeah uh and and has a little different um structure to it um maybe i'll say so um Hmm. which those are always at at least interesting to talk about um Mm -hmm. so yeah We'll be back then to uh, to discuss that one next week. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.